If you have the opportunity to not only provide someone with economic opportunity with the way of a salary, but then also provide them with the opportunity to potentially change the world in the way that healthcare is accessed, it's, it's a very compelling proposition. Purposely Podcast, speaking with social entrepreneurs and charity founders and leaders, people who are making the world a better place. Here's your host, Mark Longbottom. A really warm welcome to Purposely, episode 99. Can you believe it? Absolutely fantastic. With HealthNow founder and CEO Stephen Sinsley, HealthNow is a fintech company disrupting the direct healthcare sector. Stephen has been on the show before. We were welcoming him back to talk about some exciting news with HealthNow. Really good episode. Enjoy. Don't forget to share with friends, family, and colleagues. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, don't forget to hit subscribe. Enjoy. Stephen Sinsley, welcome back to Purposely. Thanks, Mark. It's been really awesome to be able to rejoin you on the show. You're the founder and CEO of HealthNow. You've been on the show before. You've talked about it. It's a platform. It's, it's a service that provides access to health now, and it gives an ability to people to pay later. That's me simplifying it somewhat. Before we sort of dive back into what's been happening over the last year, year and a half, tell us a bit about who you are, what you do for those who have not listened before. Yeah, of course. So I, I used to starting at the fundamentals. So uh, we've kind of reshaped what our, our business is about since I was last on the show, Mark. So we've we've pivoted a little bit and we've, we've adopted a couple of um, additional solutions. So we're now referring to ourselves as a, a digital health wallet, which helps with both accessibility and prioritization of healthcare by bringing modern payment functionality into the healthcare space. So as you alluded to, we've, we've got our buy now, pay later uh, solution specifically for the healthcare space focusing on ethical implementation and ensuring that we're we're meeting all of the right things for our health partners. We've also now uh, extended our scope with our, our health savers wallet, where end users can contribute to a health wallet on a weekly, fortnightly or monthly basis, essentially subscribing to their future health needs, noting that health is a, is a plastic uh, expense. You know, it's not if, it's when. Uh, and then further to that, we've also now... Um, We've also now extended ourselves into the uh, employer space with our employer aid program where employers can contribute to the wallet of their employees to tangibly make a difference in their employees' access to healthcare and, and improve accessibility. And, and subsequently, that has a really awesome flow on effect to productivity and profitability within their companies. The next part of the interview takes you back to our interview last year. Stephen shares his earlier years, and then we're back into our recent conversation. And changing tact a little bit. So you, do, you went to a college in the North Shore of Auckland, Birkenhead, and you've, I've seen you describe yourself as not the best student. When did, when did Stephen get really motivated and, and start really striving for you know, becoming an entrepreneur? I'm definitely impressed with your DD here, Mark. Um, <laughs> So for me, like truthfully, man, like when I was really young, I wanted to be a doctor for as long as I can remember. Actually, I've wanted to wanted to work in healthcare and do something um, where I was able to help people and have a bit of fun with it. And yeah, so like wanted to be a doctor, went through my high school experience, found rugby and friends more important than education at that point in time. But I was quite lucky to have a fairly effective memory. And then so I went through school and to be frank, I, I probably didn't try too hard because like I didn't need to try too hard to get through or scrape through. Uh, then when I wanted to go and apply for medicine, obviously I didn't make the cut. And that experience of reflecting and realizing that I had closed a door on myself 
and not put in the effort to get the outcome that I wanted. Like it really changed my perspective of things. And like, obviously quite young, still, I was only, you know, 18, but I just completely like flipped a switch in my brain. And ever since then, I've like just kind of approached life in a really different way uh, through my university experience. You know, I went from being the kid that sat at middle or back of the class to try and avoid the teacher's direct line of contact so I could chat to my friends to then sitting in the front row of every single lecture and only missing one lecture in my second year of university. And my lecturer at that point of time will never, never let me forget my second year pathology lecture on the 24th of September. Yeah, so that's kind of, that was the moment for me where I switched. And then just going through my professional career, I just saw like joining with PhysioConnect like was a really crucial moment for my like understanding of how impactful you can be with decisions within the business sector, seeing a business that was so socially focused with its friend ACC model and the impact it had. And like, I just had a lot of passion for business, for that, that concept of business of like being impactful and making sure it was still profitable so you could grow and increase opportunities. And then, yeah, just wanted to build out from there. So you did podiatry was at university. By trade, um, yeah. By trade, yeah. And um, how, how did you find that? Yeah, it was like super, super valuable experience. If I was being totally transparent, I never thought I was actually going to end up working as a podiatrist. I did the degree to eventually go back and study medicine after because I didn't obviously get the grades in high school. So I was going to go in as a graduate student. And then my mentor at that point, now business partner, Regan, uh, when I went to finish my degree, twisted my arm in a physio session to come out and work with him for a year. In that first year, I kind of saw that there was those problems with accessibility in the healthcare space. And like I was working in the musculoskeletal podiatry space, which was something that wasn't like it wasn't the main area with where most people in podiatry went to as a career direction and wanted to create a few more opportunities for employees in that space. So if I go back to May 2020 when you when you launched a startup, a lot's I know a lot's changed since then. But just take Alice's on a on a bit of a journey and, and just to remind us, you know, why you started it in the first place. If we go back to the very beginning, as we spoke about in our last session, like I come from a, a healthcare background myself, really at the coalface of health, providing health as a musculoskeletal podiatrist, and then subsequently as a health business owner. And from working at the coalface, uh, I was exposed to how many individuals couldn't access health uh, due to cost-related barriers. And so as a health provider, that's quite challenging, right? Because you know what's gold standard and you know what you want to be able to provide patients to help them, in my case, reach 100% of practically attainable pre-injury health. But then you're kind of met with these barriers that through no fault fault of their own, the patient isn't able to overcome. Uh, and I wanted to, I was, I'm, I'm really passionate about making healthcare accessible and, and I was passionate about making healthcare accessible in the brick and mortar space. But I came to the conclusion that with respect to, to brick and mortar business, it's extremely challenging to scale at the speed that I wanted to scale to have the level of impact that I wanted to have. And then further to that, I realized that there was all of these really great businesses and really great health providers that already existed across the country, both in New Zealand and internationally. And that I didn't need to try and grow to be this behemoth of a brick and mortar business. I just needed to build the technological rails that helped uh, end users facilitate their healthcare journey within the networks of health that already existed. So, so subsequently, we went out and I found some really, really awesome developers that were willing to come on the journey with me and help build this business from the ground up. And then subsequently, we got some international venture capital money from an entity called NetX, which allowed us to 
over the course of eight months, build our minimum viable product, which we launched in market on August the 17th, the day before Auckland went into its first, uh, sorry, it's it's level four lockdown in uh, 2021. Yeah. So just just reflecting on, so you're a non-technical founder, which uh, traditionally could be quite challenging and investors often look for, uh, you know, partnerships to founders when, when they're investing in companies. Were you just lucky to find that technology guru within or, did, you know, like, was that something that you worried about at the time? I don't know if I worried about it. I think because I'd had already five years experience running a relatively large organization and I felt like obviously what we're trying to do is extremely important. And I think having a really, uh, having an important mission is, is kind of, um, well, it's super important within within the employment element of any business, right? Like if you have the opportunity to not only provide someone with economic opportunity with the way of a salary, but then also provide them with the opportunity to potentially change the world and the way that healthcare is accessed, it's quite a, it's, it's a very compelling proposition. And so when we went out to market to try and find, or when I went out to market to try and find the individuals that had the right scope and, and the experience and the know-how to, to kind of help us do what we wanted to do, we weren't extremely challenged with getting individuals to to kind of see what we saw and believe in what we believed. Because in most part, I think everyone can kind of, I think most individuals would tend to agree that healthcare is it's extremely important. And, and if you can make it more accessible, then, then why wouldn't you do it? Yeah. And in terms of those, you know, early months, were there some sort of false starts? Were there real challenges that you look back on now and think, how did we overcome those? Because, you know, going back to that point with you're not a technical founder, these things that you, this space that's moving so fast, right? And things you just don't know. And these things you just don't know you don't know. And I think uh, we look back at that period and go, actually, it was that sense of mission that really took us through those tough times in the early, very early phase. Yeah, there was definitely a couple of moments where challenges were presented. They weren't always technical challenges either, but there were definitely a couple of challenges that were presented, which quite frankly, I didn't know if we were going to be over, uh, able to overcome specifically to legislative challenges and then a couple of banking barriers that were put in front of us where it was quite challenging at the, at the outset to get a bank to agree to, to bank our solution. But yeah, as, as you say, like when you've got such a, such a powerful mission driving you uh it definitely helps you get out of bed in the morning on those more challenging days because so much around you know finance solutions is trust right and you're you're a young young man you're you're a young team you haven't necessarily got a track record you had a track record in business but you didn't have a track record doing this you know that impatience as well you touched on around wanting to grow this fast so you started off in new zealand as a new zealand market but things have changed quite a lot recently haven't they tell us about you know, some of those milestones. Yeah, of course. I think just first touching on your, your prior point around building trust, because you, you know, you're right in saying that I'm not, I'm not super old as we currently speak. But then I think it's really important to, to bring the right figureheads around the table to support you and provide those gray hairs where potentially I don't have them. So part of our journey and part of what's helped us be relatively successful so quickly and be able to move at the speed that we have moved is to, to go to the market and again, find find people that are extremely experienced and build an advisory board around the business that uh, that I can go to as, as a CEO and, and that some of my team members can go to to look for support on these more challenging points. So, you know, we've got the likes of John Joyce, who was the CFO of IBM for the whole world for 13 years, Scott Pickering, who was the CEO of ACC for eight years. Uh, more recently, we've had Anna Mowbray come on. We've got Ben Toos, who's 
CEO of Habit, the largest rehabilitative business, and and Matt Rama, who comes from both, uh, he's a professional service background with PwC, but is both able to provide some paralegal counsel as well as some accounting support. So again, like to kind of mitigate or build up the areas where I don't have the experience, we've found some really high level individuals to support us on that journey. Yeah. Uh, then then going to your your next question around how things have changed, it was always a goal of mine personally to to try and solve this problem not only locally but on an international level because you know health is challenging in New Zealand but health is also extremely um potentially more more challenging in the likes of America and and other countries so when we first started this business the whole plan or the strategy was was to build it locally because you know I care about the local market and I care about making sure that Kiwis can access the healthcare they need but then reapply the learnings that we gained from the New Zealand market and apply it into the American market where where, you know, the healthcare system is extremely challenging to navigate and insurance doesn't always help people in the ways that they need to be helped. And, you know, health savers accounts underutilized and, and quite, again, quite hard to navigate. So we've taken the acquisition approach with our, our market entry strategy into the States. And as you alluded to with recent changes, on the 14th of last month, we acquired a business by the name of Cover Us. Uh, which is was currently op- was operating as a prescription discount business when we first made that acquisition, uh, where you could go and find the cheapest pharmaceutical products at, within a network of sixty two thousand pharmacies, and we're applying our our payments functionality into that business. So then, not only will uh, you be able to continue to find um, prescription discounts through our our discount program under the name of Cover Us RX. But then now subsequently, you'll also be able to u- utilize our payment functionality, our full, our full um, class of fa- payment functionality across all sectors of healthcare that we choose to engage with up in the US. Wonderful. And so that entry into the States, was it always going to be a acquiring another business strategy? Was it, or do you look at others and think we could maybe start up shop ourselves, but that was just too difficult? I think as with all decisions, you know, there's a bunch of... Um, there's a bunch of different options. It's quite funny because with respect to the Cover Us relationship, uh, I made a joke quite early in the piece when we first got NetX as one of our investors as NetX was, uh, Cover Us was an ecosystem partner of ours uh, where we both had NetX investing into the business. And I said to a couple of the GPs that I wanted to acquire that business and they kind of um, laughed it off because obviously we were much earlier in our journey than Cover Us was. But when I when I look at the, the Cover Us acquisition, from a more strategic front, you know, that's a business that already has an established network of pharmacies that it's working with. It came with is the wrong wrong word, but the guys that came across from that business or, or stayed with that business as part of the acquisition, the founders of Cover Us are just such heavy hitting individuals with great experience and great knowledge of that local market. So for me, the acquisition is not only acquiring a network for us to to utilize our solution in and gain quick traction, but it was also an acquisition of talent and skill, which which is going to be super value mm. super valuable to both the the US business and our more globalized operations. So obviously the challenge is there, you've got to do the due diligence, you've got to come up with the finance. They've got to want to do it, I guess. And you've got to and you've got all the way, you've got this challenge from the fact that you're, you know, half the world away, you know, physically. Tell us about the sort of the process and the journey. Like, tell us a bit more detail about how that came about. I think, in some respects, we were a little bit lucky as the Cover Us business was looking for an acquisition partner at the time that we were looking to make this transition into the US locality. 
So, uh, and I already had an established relationship with the, the founders of that business as I was uh, utilizing Andrew and Andy's uh, and, and Chris Seeley's uh, skill set and knowledge across the course of that first year to try and um, prepare ourselves for that, that next step into the US geography. So I guess uh, with that being said, it was almost a natural conversation when it came to the point of them wanting to be acquired and us wanting to make an acquisition or make a step a tangible step into the US market. Mm. With respect to the process, it was about a four month process from proposal to to completion, where, you know, initially, as you say, uh, there's a discussion around the vendor wanting to sell their entity, us registering our, inter- our interest, and then subsequently being selected out of the group of organizations which tended to acquire the business to be the, to be the acquisition partner. And then um, just moving through the legal processes and, and setting up the, the entity, the Cover Us, uh, sorry, the Health Now US entity that was to acquire that business just due to how we've decided to structure the entity with our, our top co-business still remaining in New Zealand and having subsequent and, and uh, a subsequent US International Holdings Co, which owns the Cover Us assets. Was it an emotional journey and was it much harder than you thought it would be? I mean, I'm relatively, um, I'm not very emotional and at any time really, to be frank. It definitely was, it was challenging, not so much with respect to the negotiations, but more just understanding or, or being exposed to a different legal framework. I'm lucky in the sense that I have completed a few acquisitions locally in the New Zealand market uh, with the prior entity that I, I worked with. But yeah, this was definitely a little bit more challenging, just trying to understand what it means for the future of the business with respect to transfer pricing and, and where our IP lives and how that how that IP is utilized in the New Zealand versus in the US market. And then subsequently, a, a couple of additional challenges around employment and and where we're kind of going to base the business in the US. Yeah, so where, where is it based, mate, or headquartered? What's Where's it stretching to? And, and actually, did you spend much time in the states during this uh during that period we actually started the the journey of the acquisition while we still weren't able to travel so even to to date i haven't been up to the us yet uh we've conducted all of the acquisition conversations and then subsequently the the meetings with existing uh, advisors and board members of cover us via teams zoom google meets etc etc I have been lucky that I've been able to meet a couple of the important stakeholders that have been able to come down to New Zealand since the the borders have been a little bit uh, easier to navigate. But yeah, I haven't I haven't been up there yet. With respect to where it's based, uh, it's currently based in uh, Oregon, and the head office, so to speak, is in Portland. But once we look to move up there in the new year, we'll be looking to move that down to the Bay Area and more specifically San Jose. Fantastic. And I guess the challenge whenever, you know, you acquire a business, you talked about acquiring some incredible talent, which is, which is wonderful, but it's making sure that it works, you know, the equation works for those individuals as well. And that, that, you know, part of their vision for the future, you want them to hang around. You want them to keep doing what they do being, being brilliant. But that is a, is that a key, key part of it? Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I think we're definitely lucky in this respect is both cover us and health now. Uh, we're extremely aligned on what they were trying to achieve. So Cover Us's mission statement was that you shouldn't have to be wealthy to be healthy. And obviously, Health Now was to make healthcare more accessible to more people. So you can instantly see how those two entities can work together. I think as well for Cover Us, they were quite excited about the proposition of Health Now because 
the challenge which they alluded to having in a lot of their conversation of scaling was that they weren't at the point of sale. So they were competing in the search and in the ads and, and in the marketing space against some relatively large players who are also prescription discount businesses, noting that Cover Us had a really a really good strength of ensuring that they always displayed the the absolute best price. They weren't about showing the best price for you of what you could afford like some of the other entities in the space, but they truly showed you the best possible price that they could give you on a prescription discount program. And then obviously with Health Now being at the point of sale and partnering with health merchants and not only able to, um, yeah, not only providing the transactional platform for the merchants to process payment, but also existing in the palm of people's hands as the digital health wallet. It's just, uh, yeah, it's a really nice alignment. I mean, you know, incredible scale, the uh, America, isn't it? Like, um, I think it's over 350 million people, uh, maybe, maybe more than that, but huge potential. Agreed. And it's a $495 billion out of healthcare market. Mm. So there's a, an extreme amount of money changing hands. And when you consider that up to 25% of Americans aren't accessing healthcare due to cost related barriers, you can see that there's a lot more opportunity. Well, it kind of depends how you want to look at it. If we're just looking at it, Tam, there's a lot more opportunity on the table that currently isn't being taken up. And then further to that, that obviously transfers into healthcare that's not being provisioned, which then leads to terrible long-term health outcomes for these individuals that unfortunately aren't accessing the health they need to at the time it's needed. Yeah, absolutely. The, the knock-on effects in terms of people being able to access care at the right time could be trans, absolutely transformational. And in terms of, you know, like, have you found it easier to close other deals and, and onboard other clients? Because people are seeing now that you're, you know, you're now, an international company, you've, as you say, got a, a really good advisory board. You're scaling up your team. Is it sort of like a, a key moment that you actually people go, right, we'll, we'll join these guys because what they offer makes sense, but we also, they've been around for a bit and they're, they're continuing to be brilliant. That's a really interesting point. Um, I mean, in all honesty, I probably haven't reflected on it in that way yet, but I think I, I, I'm inclined to agree. I, I think that especially as of late, we have had uh, some really, or we've had considerable success with some enterprise level clients in the New Zealand market. And I think you'd be right in saying um, it's because we've been around for a little while. We've earned some stripes. We've, we've, got, we've, we've got countless runs on the board. We've helped thousands of people acquire the health they need. So, um, and I think also, to be frank, there's a massive problem at the moment with this cost of living crisis, right? And, and I think although we, we don't like to think that health is a discretionary spend for a lot of individuals, it's not something that they prioritize. So by having our solution available in, the in these health practices as an alternative way to pay, whether it's coming out of our health wallet, or whether it's coming from employees who are contributing to the health of their employees, or whether it's a, an, a patient spreading the health that they need over multiple weeks, which we've now extended up to 12 weeks if it's a transaction over $500, it's really allowing health providers to to provide, obviously, you know, as I say, an ethical way for their customers to acquire the care that they need to. So I guess in short, there's been a few changes that we've made. But yes, I, I would agree to say that um, the changes that we've made have led to more success in our quote-unquote sales conversations of getting partners into our network. Yeah. And was there any other individual or businesses that have been in a similar position that being located in uh, in the Pacific or um, in Australasia, and they were looking to break into America. Had you did you draw an inspiration from others locally, and and you know, what, if so, what does that look like? That's another interesting question. 
I mean, to be honest, we, I didn't look at any other Kiwi businesses for inspiration. I spent a lot of time studying American leaders. Like I've spent like hours and hours and hours studying Shamath Polyhapatiya and uh, Ajay Banga from Mastercard. He's he's one of my favorite business leaders that I've ever spent time studying. I think his commentary on financial inclusion is is just so powerful, and I like to look at what we're doing in the healthcare space as having some sim- similarity to what Mastercard's done in the financial inclusion space. Evidently, it's slightly different markets, um, and they're they're a, a way 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 bigger business, but. You know, it's definitely a goal of mine to kind of get up to that scale and be like have our health wallet in the hands of every single individual, both locally and in the markets we choose to play in internationally. And and I think a key a key driver of that is going to be our more recent focus on the employer aid side of our business, where we are actively going to employers now to to help them take care of their most uh, important assets, which is their people. And if we can get employers on board, we get to obviously on board of all of the staff, both current staff and future staff. So, I mean, in short, to answer your question, we I didn't look at um, any businesses that had made the same jump, but just felt innately from studying some high-performing leaders that the way that we we're uh, approaching the the opportunity was the right way to do it. Yeah, because you're like we've been talking. You, you know, you have got a dual focus, which is you know purpose. So around you know making healthcare much more accessible ultimately to transforming people's lives they get that care you know you're also a company that's focused on making a profit and, and growing and scaling i've been into your terms and conditions and you know that i guess the threat to you guys is for any any business who's sort of focusing on profit and and purpose is how you treat your your vulnerable clients or when when things don't go so well for them but you've got a really good approach you know looking into your terms and conditions and and if things, if people have life incidents or they things don't go quite to plan, is that quite challenging though? Like delivering on, you know, caring for people at the same time, conscious that you got to pay people, you got to grow and scale. Like finding a balance between those two two things. Yeah, that's a really great question. I think if I can, I'll just I'll just level set a little bit here. I think first and foremost, just on the idea of profitability. To me, generating a profit is extremely important to our business because, as you say, it allows us to grow and scale. And with growth and scale, we can help support more end users to access the healthcare that they need in more markets. So it's not purely profit just to to, to generate dividends for shareholders. It's literally profit to help us grow and scale. Then with respect to your commentary around our vulnerable people or, or people that get put into positions of hardships, uh, you're, you're bang on. Like We like to work with every customer individually on a case-by-case basis if these events do come up because we do understand that there's situations where, for whatever reason, people aren't able to meet certain um, responsibilities. And I think it's important you know, for us as a business, it's not about that one transaction. It's not about you just utilizing our solution once. It's about building a lifetime relationship with our platform. And, and maybe it starts in a, a health now pay later uh, transaction. But in any instance, we hope that that relationship will progress forward into health wallet contributions of, of subscribing to their future health. And subsequently, they've got enough trust in us to then provide us with their employer contact details so we can see if their employer also wants to engage. So that being said, it wouldn't be the right approach to obviously just try and um, profit as much off as as much as we can off each individual, especially in circumstances where it becomes more challenging for them. I also think because um, you know we are kind of um, there's a little bit of an undertone of comparison between us and some other players within the buy now pay later space, and more specifically the resale sector. 
I think because we're not purely, or not, I don't think, our unit economics are different to the traditional buy now, pay later providers, right? We're not a one-trick pony. It's not all we do. So we can uh, make these allowances with our buy now, pay later feature within our platform because we have other revenue streams with slightly different unit economics and we're not purely reliant on on our buy now, pay later business to, to generate revenue or opportunity for us to be able to then grow with. Just to sort of clarify for Alice's, I'm going to the doctors I've got, or I've got an ill child. I, I really need access to that doctor. There's a cost in, in New Zealand. There's a cost in the States. It's different in the UK. I, I want to access your service. You know, I, I take out a loan effectively to pay for that upfront cost. How does it work just in that example? And where do you guys get your cut? Because it's, it's interest free to the person who's uh, getting the credit, isn't it? Yeah, it's a really great question. So again, just for level setting and clarity, we're available across every sector of the healthcare space. Uh, our mandate is that we have to, we only work with uh, health businesses or businesses that are direct suppliers into the healthcare space. So health devices or, or braces or medication or whatever it might be. And then with respect to a workflow, as you say, the customer would go into the doctor, dentist, pharmacy, dietitian, nutritionist, specialist, whatever it might be. And then if they were using our health now pay later functionality, they would then be able to acquire the health that they require on the day. And natively within our solution, they'd be able to distribute the cost of that healthcare over a chosen period uh, up to six weeks if it's less than $500 and up to 12 weeks if it's more than $500 as it meets their budget and, and what they can afford to pay. And then, yeah, correct again, as you say, there's no interest or fees to the end user for utilizing our solution. There's no subscription model to use, utilizing our solution. 100% of our money comes from the other side of our network where our our health providers are actually um, passing on a percentage of the gross transactional cost. So essentially, we charge similar to how FPOS machine or um, or Visa or Mastercard make money. HealthNow operates on the same type of relationship with our merchant partners to assure ensure again that it's easy and and effective for our our customer base, our end user base to access the care that they need. Great, and there's been quite a lot of headlines recently around you know buy now, pay later like say different to you in different sectors different industries but if a few have um left their customers high and dry did that make your life a little bit more difficult did it mean you had to explain yourself to to people a, bit, a little bit more or is as actually there's still enough um solid players in that field that the kind of the ones where it's gone wrong haven't uh spoiled the rest that's a really interesting question um you ask great questions mark thank you <laughs> uh, um How am I answering this diplomatically? I think, uh, as you rightly said, we operate in a a very different market with a very, very different approach. I need to be careful because we don't know who's going to listen to this, right? Uh, I think that (laughs) I'm extremely grateful that the the retail providers, or grateful is the wrong word, the way the retail providers in the buy now, pay later space operate does not affect our organization in a negative way. It helps us to communicate how we differentiate ourselves in this market. So, and I mean, without naming names, there are providers who are publicly listed companies and report how much money they're making from late payment fees. To, to date, HealthNow has made, you know, we've got less than 1% of our customers who haven't paid us back on time. And then in most instances, we've been able to, to prevent any late payment fees from, from occurring. So I think it's, um, yeah, as you say, there's there's a couple of bad headlines about retail providers allowing their end users to buy alcohol or 
or other other products which potentially are more challenging. I think it probably works in our favor because health providers are are very aware of uh, looking after their patients. And I think because of the way that we approach that market of of providing a very ethical and and kind of um, health supporting function, yeah, it definitely it sets us apart that there's kind of these bad headlines and, and we're operating in a completely different way. I think one of the charges is that they're enabling people to spend recklessly and, you know, that's you are in a complete different space on a di- completely different product, which is health. Um, I think so we, on, so that, when, on that note further, I think um, something more to add is that, like, we don't support instant gratification purchases, right? Like, that's that's kind of our biggest differentiator. Like, um, and, and I, I think the retail what nose jobs. Well, yeah, I think the retail. <laughs> I, I think the retail players they have a space to play because there is going to be instances where you know a family like um, a kid loses a pair of shoes at school and and mum and dad like want to be able to buy their kid a, another pair of shoes and and they don't want to use a credit card because some in some instances credit cards cause like relatively negative debt spirals and without going into the data credit cards aren't really being uptaken in the same level as they used to especially in the millennial and and younger populations so i think they definitely have a space to play and they do provide a solution and they do operate effectively in some instances i think that being said the the end user just needs to make sure that when they're entering into these relationships with these entities that they need to they need to understand how they work and how to make their payments back on time and i think uh, potentially it's not it's not that they're um yeah, I think there might just be space for there to be a little bit more around the feasibility of utilizing the, the solutions, especially in in the instant gratification space. Whereas uh, health now will cover us. On the contrary, like we don't work in instant gratification. We help support the most important transactions anyone can ever make. Right, like to support their future health and support future health outcomes, and that kind of is reflected as well in our and our repayment or lack of repayment percentages because I think because our solution operates in a space where we're genuinely helping them buy something that they wouldn't have otherwise been able to buy if we're looking specifically at our buy now pay later feature uh, they tend to operate in the appropriate way and return us the the money that we're due to be returned uh, at the time it's due to be returned so Mm. yeah that's that's how I'd finish that and changing tax a little bit so talk to other entrepreneurs and um, you know, often they find that early startup phase really exciting, fits with their personality type. As the team gets bigger, HR issues kick in and it's a duty of care to your staff and keeping them motivated and you know all that, all that stuff. What has been your biggest learning as you've been going on this scaling journey um, and stretch to overseas? Like, as you as a leader, because you're founder and, and sort of CEO and, and uh, buck stops with you, um, have you had to change how you do it? How you do things? I think, um, like as as we've alluded to, I've I've kind of gone through the scaling phases before the business, from twelve staff up to one hundred and twenty staff across multiple sites and distributed teams. Um, so I'm I'm still feeling relatively comfortable uh, where the business is, and it doesn't feel that I'm operating too far outside of my comfort zone with respect to the management of the team. There definitely has been challenges in the way of the type of work that we're doing and operating in the technology space comparative to the brick and mortar healthcare space. But I think as I as I alluded to before, like finding people that are experts in their own right. Well actually that's one of our core values is find the experts. So I try I try and um why well, I, I do. I don't try. I lean on these individuals within our organization for their expertise so they can support me and help me grow as a leader. I think that's a really important thing to do within leadership is is look to people that are all great leaders, right? Great leaders aren't 
the best everything. Great leaders find really, really effective people and then work with those individuals to try and then grow or, or align them on a singular mission. So, And look ahead to the future. You're, you know, you, as we said, May 2020 was, was the launch month. Where do you see yourself being in the next year, next two or three years? So in the next year, our focus is definitely going to be uh, on continuing to grow our network in the local New Zealand market in addition to some some activity in the Australian and, and evidently the US market. Uh, we're really excited. We've got some integrations into some PMS platforms uh, in the near future. So so our, our partners will literally be able to use the native solutions, which they've already got to manage their patient notes, to process uh, health now transactions. And then further to or beyond that, sorry, uh, we're going to be applying a real focus into this employer aid space because I think especially now when, um, you know, as we say, the cost of living crisis is getting more and more challenging and the skilled labor shortage becomes more challenging. Employers are looking for tangible ways to effectively not only attract new staff, but keep staff and make their staff's life better and easier and, and more effective. And I think healthcare it's a really important space for employers to play because why well, I, I think there's kind of two elements to this is is by focusing on your staff health you actually as an employer you generate ROI for the business because healthy staff are more productive have less presenteeism less likely to take sick days but then on the other side of that coin is also the fact that like your staff are spending more time at work than they are anywhere else in their life so so why shouldn't you be part of like you're the primary beneficiary of them being healthy in some instances yeah so why shouldn't you be part of that journey uh, so so again like we're going to be focusing a lot our on our employer aid piece of our business and continuing to scale and then um and kind of in, in an adjunct to that we'll also be looking into the hopefully looking or hopefully going to be working in the payer space with potentially some trusts and some iwi and and some other payers that can help support our different individuals and different groups to access the health they need. Wonderful. And New Zealand's out of lockdown now. COVID is becoming less controlling. You're going to get to the States. You're going to go and have that, um, that diner experience. I know you've, you've probably been there before, but um, you're going to go and rub shoulders with your colleagues over there soon. I actually haven't been there before ever. Um, ah. I am looking forward to the opportunity of heading up there. We haven't set specific dates yet, but I've got a conference that I'll be attending in November and I intend I, uh, intend to hit up at least once before then. Uh, and then as it's currently planned, there is intentions to, to make a move um, or not a semi-permanent slash um, back and forth kind of move in January, February of next year. So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, there's a couple of kicks we need to get across the goalpost first, but all things going right and and another subsequent raise at the end of this year going in our favor yeah there's definitely a couple of opportunities and a couple of doors that will be opened up off the back of yeah off the back of some good opportunities wonderful Stephen Sinsley thank you very much for joining me on purposely thanks for having me again Mark it's always awesome to connect and catch up so looking forward to not only not only uh joining you again but but continuing to listen to your other your other podcasts wonderful thank you Thanks for listening to Purposely Podcast. Please subscribe and leave a review. I hope you like what you're hearing, because I sure do.